are back with another episode of Bully Ball. I'm Jason Aponte, joined by Steph Sanchez. Steph, we go from one rivalry to another. The 49ers handle the Seattle Seahawks, but now the opponent is set. The Dallas Cowboys. And if you thought Fred Warner was hyped up Thursday Night Football, talking about how much they hate them, I want to say this real quick. I hate these motherfuckers. I hate them so much. And this game means way more than the Seattle Seahawks game. Steph, what are your thoughts on that? I'm a little bit more of a a young buck. I I wasn't around or I didn't watch like the 49ers Cowboys rivalry. I know how big it is, of course, you know, the the magnitude of it um, and all the history between these two teams. But I'm excited just for the fact that like it seems like everyone's pumped up for this matchup. Of course, it's also a rematch of last year's divisional round. So, you know, going into this game, I was good with playing whoever. I'm glad it's the Cowboys. As far as entertainment goes, this is could could be the quite possibly the most entertaining matchup of next weekend, maybe. And th- this rivalry runs deep. So I, I think it's going to be a good one. I think it's going to bring the best out of both teams. And I think the 49ers best is just a little better. What do you say? I definitely be- I believe that. And the NFL wants this. I mean, last year, yeah. th- that game was one of the most watched games ever. I mean, the it, it's funny. The NFC Championship from 1994 in which Deion Sanders played, I believe it was still, to, this, to last year's day, the fourth highest ever watched NFL program. So that should tell still? you. Still. That should tell you. These fan bases, this is big. The, the birth of the dynasty happened against them. I'm not going to divulge, divulge my age. But what I will say is that I have suffered much heartbreak at the hands of the Dallas Cowboys as a young boy, and their fans are absolutely obnoxious. Now, every NFL fan base has obnoxious fans. I'm one of them right now with the Niners, uh, so that's fine. But there's something different about it. You know, it's almost like with the Cowboys, it's like the Yankees. And as a Yankee fan, let me explain to you if you don't know. Either you like the Yankees or you hate them. Either you like the Cowboys or you hate them. And for the Niners fans, it's always going to be this. And every kind of fan base is against them at this point. I think this is the ninth time that they've met. Rematch from last year in which the Dallas Cowboys forgot how to play football at the end of that game. In Dallas, that game was, or I mean, in Arlington. This one's going to be in Santa Clara. But this is going to be the Cowboys' fifth straight road game. Previously, before yesterday, they were 1-4 and four, um, on grass as well, too. And the defense was kind of giving it up. Steph. Some overall takeaways from last night. Fourth straight road game. I apologize. Um, any overall takeaways from last night in terms of them eliminating the GOAT, which I, I didn't think was going to happen? Oh, come on. <laughs> oh, I come didn't. On. I didn't. I'm watching the game, and I'm like, okay, these guys were complaining that they're playing on Monday. They got a bye week playing the Tampa Bay Bucks. Like, come on. The, they had no business being in the playoffs to begin with. You You can't watch that game and be like, Wow, like the the Cowboys look great. I mean, yes, you you can't, but it was the Bucks, and you could just tell like they were just defeated from the moment they stepped onto the field. They had Tom Brady in hell, which I do got to give them credit for. But Tom Brady was just he was just missing some passes, mm-hmm. you know. And so I think they got a really easy game, quite honestly. And I think they're re- feeling really good about themselves, which. Could good. be a recipe for disaster. Yeah, exactly. They they come into Santa Clara feeling a little too good, maybe. And uh, you mentioned all the disadvantages they have going into this game. They're traveling from Tampa Bay probably last night. They probably did. Um, they're on the short week. So you got to think about how that impacts preparation, how that impacts injuries. They had two injuries last night. Mm-hmm. Uh, their safety, uh, J. Ron Curse, Curse, 
a knee injury. He was seen on crutches on the sideline, so that can't be good. Um, and then their left tackle, Jason Peters, exited with a hip injury, didn't return to the game. So those two things, like, that could impact uh, – what we see on Sunday, then they're going to be traveling to Santa Clara probably Friday evening or Saturday. And like you mentioned, this will be Dallas's fourth road game in a row. Oh, or that was that was their no wait is it their fourth or fifth? It's their fourth, uh, but they were one and four yeah. on on grass. So that was so the 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 stat that I was trying Another to cite was right there. one and four on grass. Their defense gives it up a lot more, and this is going to be their fourth yeah. straight road game. This was the first road game that the the forty nine ers the Cowboys have won in the playoffs since. 1993 against the San Francisco 49ers. So it's time to stop this streak all over again. Yeah, so they they got outside factors, you know, going against them. The 49ers, of course, are going to be playing at home. They're going to be feeling good. Levi Stadium, I, I was so pumped to hear Levi Stadium through the TV this past weekend. Like, I don't think I've ever heard Levi's that loud. And, and from people who are at the game, it sounds like it was a great environment. It felt like playoff football, as you would expect. So... I'm excited for what they're going to sound like, you know, on Sunday. And as far as injuries go for the 49ers, Juwan Jennings, Ebukam, they're day-to-day. But again, they get that extra day of rest available to them. So the 49ers have some advantages for them. They got to take advantage of those, play a physical brand of football, because I don't know if the Cowboys are going to be willing to be all that physical they're gonna try right you know I think in the beginning it's gonna be very physical but that might fizzle out as the game goes um as their bodies you know catch up with them from the past week you know so keep their defense on the field as long as you can uh tire them out I I think the 49ers can pull this out yeah I've got the 49ers winning this game spoiler alert but you know a few things to point out I guess what uh what I was worried about with the Bucks is betting against Tom Brady and um again the whole grass thing was very was very concerning for me especially with their secondary not playing as well as they have and and again Tom Brady didn't necessarily play well but Michael Parsons showed up another thing is yeah, they do have to travel back to Texas, then over there. So, you know, but the whole the whole short week thing, I mean, if the Vikings take care of business, they would have had to travel in a short week to Philly either way. I just, the crying is already starting. The crying is already starting. And it's just like, oh, well, now we have to this week go on a short week. It's not fair. Who cares? You're going to have to do that regardless. Yeah. So I don't get it. Yeah, and by the way, we knew the Vikings weren't going to win that game either. So uh, I mean, F R A U D S. One more thing, Micah Parsons and this defense and this team—they always trying to tell you how physical they are. They always trying to tell you how hard they're going to play. Why is it that the 49ers never have to tell you? They can just show you. And it always just sounds to me like the Cowboys and Micah Parsons are trying to convince themselves that they are something that they're not. Hey, we're tough. Watch out. It's like the guy on the playground, right? The, the kid on the playground, right? Watch out. I'm tough. You don't want to, you know, and then there's that quiet kid that's been sitting there the whole time and nobody ever messes with. And he thinks that because he's quiet, he can go over there and try and take his lunch money. And he ends up face down on the playground. So it's it's just, look, if you can tell, you probably can from listening. I really strongly dislike the Cowboys, and I I need this game. I need it. We need it. We all need it. We need it. We need this we need one. It. What, well, what I was going to say was, okay, we, we faced the Seahawks. We beat them. Mm-hmm. We're facing the Cowboys. There's a possibility, right, a possibility that if the 49ers advance, they, they could play against the Giants. 
and oh. then maybe possibly the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. Seahawks, Cowboys, Giants, and Chiefs. Could you imagine how many wounds that could potentially heal for this fan base? We need it. Revenge on everybody? We need that. I need it. Somebody get the Ravens on the phone and tell them we'll play them after the Super Bowl as well, too. Um, you know, well, let's let's clear all of this up, man. And I can't think of a more stressful game than the Giants uh, uh, Niners in the NFC Championship just because mm-hmm. of how close I live to the stadium and all these Giants fans who have already started talking about we're going to take care of them and we'll see you in the NFC title game. And it's just the anxiety. You know, it's playoff football. It's always going to be like that. But there is something different about this rivalry, right? There, There is. You know, from Dwight Clark, you know, the sprint right option, you know, the 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 matchups in the 90s, you know, even to last year. It's just it's just different. You know, you have two story franchises and I I can't think of a better way for them to end divisional week this week, man. I mean, it feels like those other games are just going to be, you know, falling by the wayside. I think everybody's got their eyes on this one, even if you're not a 49ers or Cowboys fan. All those matchups back in the day, like both of those teams were stacked. And I think we can look at the Cowboys objectively and say, you know, they're pretty stacked, too. I would say Um, they're very balanced, you know. And the 49ers are also very balanced. And you already know how I feel, Jay. Like, I I feel that the 49ers are the better team. So, obviously, I mean, no surprise there. But this is probably the best defense that Brock Purdy has faced or will have faced thus far, right? Mm -hmm. And we talked about Micah Parsons. He's a beast. He was all all over the place against the Bucs. I think he's better than he was last season. And, you know, he's got a chip on his shoulder because of all the accolades that he's seen Nick Bosa getting. And he's making a big stink about that. I don't know. You, you've probably seen it on Twitter. He's like, he's don't been care. talking about it. Crimey River. Yeah, I, I think he'll be pumped for this game, though. And I think, you know, he'll have some big plays. He's a very talented player. But what are we thinking about this Cowboys defense as a whole? Like, do you do you think they can handle this 49ers offense? Well, that's the thing is it's literally the number one and number two defensive teams in DVOA, right? I mean, it's obviously going to be that. And right now, the Dallas Cowboys still give it up on the ground. It's just that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers can't run on – they couldn't run on a marching band um, this year. So you don't really see that at this point. I mean, Tom Brady broke his attempt record from last year in the next year. Like, they literally just can't not run the ball for whatever reason. But the 49ers still have that. So knowing what you know, right? And you would sit there and say, well, you know, just run the ball. Well, I suspect that they are going to try to take that away. So, yes, this game is going to largely fall on Brock Purdy. And I think this is a perfect way. I mean, obviously, we've got the 49ers and we think they're going to win. It's probably an obvious way to segue to what we saw this past week uh, with Brock Purdy in the first game, which it's so crazy. First game of wildcard weekend. Good. You get your nerves out of the way. Get it done now. We have to watch and sit through three other games before you get to the to the 49ers game. but. Yeah, Brock Purdy's first career start. I mean, if you you were one of these people that didn't watch the game and you just looked at the box score, you're like, oh, my God, this kid was just throwing darts and he was incredible this entire game. You look 300 yards, four touchdowns, one rushing, three passing. But Steph, early on in this game, uh, the ball was slick. He looked like he had a bit of nerves. He looked like a rookie starting his sixth career start which I think is important. And I really am kind of happy that that happened because we're so taken by Brock Purdy. We're so excited with what he's doing. And why not? Because he's playing phenomenal. But I think the same things that make you excited are the things that you should think about because you sit there and you watch him play and you say, there's no way this guy's a rookie. But then there's throws and times when you're like, oh, yeah, he's a rookie. So there's two schools of thought. 
oh no, this can happen again. I don't think it'll happen like that because as long as Kyle Shanahan is calling plays, as long as you have these playmakers, it's going to be guys running wide open. All Brock Purdy is going to have to do is distribute the ball. And I'm not trying to downplay what Brock Purdy's doing. I'm just saying there's literally receivers running wide open every single time. Like, I, I, I don't know what needs to be said. I mean, you know, Seattle sat in cover three and they called a bunch of cover three beaters. And it was just, it was a masterful game plan. And then you think, well, yeah, this is his sixth star, so that's why you are so impressed with him. You are so impressed with him because the sky can only, you know, the sky's not the limit. Like, you can keep moving up, you know, like with more experience and such. So I think that, again, as long as there's guys running wide open, as long as you have these playmakers, as long as Christian McCaffrey's playing this well, Brock Purdy's going to be fine. But this is going to be his biggest test, you know, clearly, when we talk about defenses that he's facing, probably going to face at this point. It will be a good test for, you know, what's to come in, in the playoffs, I think. And he did have those early jitters and, and misfires, and I think it's good to to get that out of the way. Something I think we've actually seen in, in the first half of the last few games, you know, I, I feel like we've seen Purdy kind of start a little slow, um, and, you know, by halftime he kind of settles in and then he kind of takes over the game. So I wasn't worried about, like, the that first half. I believe it was 9 of 19 in that first half. So Kyle Shanahan not shy uh, throwing the football with his rookie. I think that's a good sign, um, one that's, you know, not being discussed enough. The fact that Kyle Shanahan actually trusts this quarterback, you, you can just tell. The proof is in the pudding. And uh, – it looked like Kyle had gotten sleep. I don't know if you saw him like walking into the stadium uh, on uh, Saturday or yeah, Saturday. My guy looked rested, man. He looked well rested, and for good reason because you know what? He has a quarterback he knows can can win a game for him. So Brock Purdy, he settled in just fine because you know he did it against the Raiders as well. He started off kind of jittery then too against the Cardinals. You could even say but when he's hitting. This kid is unstoppable, you know? I think the strong finish also had to give him some confidence. So, again, to get the the nervousness out of the way early, hopefully he can carry some of that confidence with him in to start, you know, uh, for Sunday's game and start on a good note, right? I think there's a little bit that Kyle Shanahan could do to, you know, make him settle down early, you know, maybe get some runs going. I feel like there's a lot of passes uh, in that first half. But at the same time, it, it all it's all part of the game plan, right? It's all about who you're going up against that week and what you think you can attack. And and so some of those throws were there. It was just a fact of, like, Brock Purdy missing them early. And, Jay, did you know this, though? Brock Purdy has as many playoff career touchdowns as Jimmy James Garoppolo has in six playoff contests. Four touchdowns total. And Brock should have had five. Yeah. If we're being honest, yeah. with the Brandon Ayuk, he should he should have caught that one, and that was an incredible play. Like I I don't think we'll ever see a better incompletion uh, from Brock Purdy, 100%. but that one was nice. That was nice. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I feel good about Brock just because yes, the Cowboys are going to try to give him a lot of pressure, and I think they'll be able to get that right. But I think Brock Purdy has a way of just adjusting, and it seems like whatever Kyle and even D'Amico are doing at halftime, whatever adjustments they've been making lately, it's been working because they have just come out in the third quarter and just run away with the game. And hopefully they can st start doing that from the first quarter on. Right. But man, I'm, I'm just, 
I'm excited. I'm impressed by this rookie, and I think he could take us really, really far. You know, and the other thing is, is I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, if they if they're executing anywhere near the level that they were in the first half, how many points did they score? Sixty. I mean, seriously, I, I, I seriously, I mean, I, there was not really a time where Seattle was really doing anything, and Kyle Shanahan spoke directly to throwing early on in the game to set up the run. And that is, again, somebody who understands the assignment, knows who's ahead of him, and, and, and does, has, does have confidence in Brock Purdy. And I, I really think it's interesting that you brought up the Jimmy Garoppolo thing, so I want to talk about that real quick. Um, People don't like when I say this because they think I'm disrespecting Jimmy Garoppolo. But the objective fact is Brock Purdy just has to play better than Jimmy Garoppolo, and in the playoffs, it's not a high bar that needs to be cleared. Let me explain. 2019, the divisional round against the Minnesota Vikings didn't really throw the ball. I mean, eight times NFC Championship didn't throw the ball. Super Bowl, I don't remember that game. That never really happened. We have the Dallas game um, from last year. He was okay um, early on in that game, made enough plays for it to be done. Um, down the stretch, wasn't as effective. We know he was injured. That's some, the context you need there. NFC Championship, he was okay. Um, down the stretch, things happened. The offensive line gave out, you know. But Brock Purdy doesn't really have a high bar to clear in terms of that. And I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. He already has as many touchdowns in one game. Um, I do want to say that the two situations are a bit different. Uh, Brock Purdy does have weapons that are insane right now. Um, obviously, it would have been nice to have that last year. You don't have it this year. And Kyle Shanahan is just, you know, completely in his bag this year. He just looks at ease. There's really no issues at all. Um, so, yeah, but it's always been funny to me about, well, I don't know about the playoffs. Yeah, well, the 49ers won games throwing the ball eight times. Yeah, well, the 49ers won games when Jimmy threw two interceptions in a game. Like, you know, the 49ers won in Green Bay, and they didn't score an offensive touchdown. Obviously, that's not what you want to do, right? Like, that's not ideal. But if Brock Purdy even gives you a little bit more in these games, you have to feel confident, right? So it's just I'm, uh, everybody's going to take this as me, you know, oh, taking a shot at Jimmy Garoppolo. It's, it's, it's an objective fact. And if you have a problem with that, you know, that's your business. So, yeah, again, to kind of put a bow on Brock Purdy, man, if this offense executes anywhere near, it's, it's and that's the other thing, Steph. The 49ers still have not played their perfect game yet. They're still not put together their entire offense yet, and they've scored 30 points damn near every time that Purdy's been out there. This is what should have you excited, right? So if they did execute as well as they could have, they scored 60 points, and we're all laughing. Like, we're all laughing, and it's just Brock Purdy's been great, man, and uh, let the good times roll. Three more, and we're talking about, you know, Make the Disney movie, like green light the Disney movie and put it out, like immediately put it out. So um, so thoughts on the first half, really, um, you know, Brock Purdy was fine. I mean, 16 points. OK, you'll take that, you know, because then you're on pace for 32. If you you know, if you guys like math, there's a sequence I that I hate math, too. Um, there's a sequence at the end of the first half, though, is really, really annoying. Um, Kyle Shanahan squib kick. Let's just take let's take that one and rip it out of the playbook and let's just uh, throw it in trash. OK. And then Jimmy Ward, man, situationally, you got to know a little bit better than that right yeah, there. Yeah. So aside from that, you saw Seattle run off the field like they were going to get their, you know, wild card banner right after that to go up 17 to 16. We all know that the second half was a little bit different. But, yeah, again, I think the first half is a combination. There was a slick ball, Brian Purdy finding his way. But, yeah, I mean, this game was not particularly close. What do you think about the first half? Yeah, that, no, they ran off the field like uh, 
the Rams did in <laughs> last year's, like, what was it, the Week 18 game? Week 18 when they scored a touchdown, Sean McVay's in the end zone celebrating. Raise the banner, first half winners. <laughs> yeah. Well, we can't laugh too much about that because they, re- they did raise a banner at the end. But well, well, whatever. Hey, hey, hey. We can selectively remember stuff. We can selectively remember stuff, Steph. It's, it's <laughs> our narrative. We can shape it. You you get my point though. You get my point. That's how they walked off the field and and what happened. We we know what happened in the second half. Um you know, I I think in the first half I'm I'm not going to look too far into it because I think we simply saw the results of a team playing a, us for the a third time, you know. Wouldn't you say it looked like the Seahawks just looked a little more prepared in that first half? Not more prepared than the Niners, but just more prepared as a team themselves, you know, I think they had much better protection against the 49ers pass rush. Um, You know, I saw them pick up some blitz as well. They gave Geno Smith time. His time to throw was 2.9 and that's the most he had had against the Niners this season. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we saw what he was able to do with that time. And it was no surprise because Geno Smith, he had like what a 70% completion percentage this season. That's insane by the way, but you know, we saw that in that first half. He was in rhythm much of the night. And also we saw Charvarius Ward, you know, struggle a little bit, which I, I'm going to just say right here, I'm not worried about one bad game from Charvarius. You know what I mean? Um, He has shown us enough that, you know, let's just chalk it up as a one-game thing. And, in fact, maybe it's good he got that out of the way too because I think he's going to come back on Sunday you know, with a little extra juice to him. he's And, by the way, he probably made one of the key plays of the game, one of them that kind of, to me, happened in the turning point of the game in that drive where uh, it was a defensive drive and D'Amico Ryans had to make some adjustments after the half because it was the Seahawks' first offensive drive after halftime, and so it was a real big make or break drive to see like, okay, what, what's D'Amico cooking this time? Um, and I, I thought D'Amico had some great adjustments. First, they were stopping the run on that drive, which I think was going to be a good precursor to how that second half was going to go. Um, and Seahawks get in the red zone. First, their center goes down, Austin Blythe. Uh, so they had their backup center in there. Charvarius Ward able to get a pass breakup on a throw to Metcalf in the end zone. That was huge. The play after that was a Charles O'Menahue strip fumble. So imagine how important Charvarius' pass breakup was at that moment, the way it was able to set up the the strip fumble. And that that pretty much to me, like the game was over at that point because then it just snowballed from there. So I, I think that was huge. So him getting that play when he did, He's still Mooney Ward. Like, I mean, come on. So I'm not worried about his performance in that game. I think he's going to come back even stronger. Let's talk about Lenore, man. Lenore? I mean, I I was questioning this man, and not just like I think it was fair to, to question him and think, you know, is he going to be able to step up in the playoffs? Can we really count on him? He's kind of a liability, all these things. I think all that was fair to, to say in question. And – I also think it might be a little too early to even say, like, he's going to do this all playoffs. But I think, you know, he had 28 cover snaps, two catches allowed, 16 yards allowed, one interception, and a 20.8 passer rating when targeted. I think he he surprised me in this game. 
yes, I thought he would have some better games, but not like this. So what would you think about Lenore and how he stepped up in this game, in a game that, you know, Mooney Ward kind of struggled? I, we, we needed that from Lenore. I think what you kind of saw was Seattle using two weeks of tape and realizing that they could do some things to Mooney Ward. And I think that's good game planning. I think when you said that they came out prepared, that was really good. Now, that doesn't mean that all of a sudden Mooney Ward can't play. It's just they noticed some things. They said, hey, we can hit him with a little bit of a deeper move here. We can hit him because they're going to leave him with no protection over the top. DK Metcalf's very fast. I mean, it's hard to cover DK Metcalf for eight quarters better than he did. Imagine 12. So I, I think, again, Seattle did a great job of identifying where they could attack. I think everybody expected them to come out and attack Diamador Lenore. But what you do is you do the unexpected, right? And it worked. It worked. For a large part of this game, it worked. But, yeah, with Lenore, it's it's the tale of two corners flipped. I mean, usually that stat line would have been for, for Mooney Ward and the other stat line would have been for Lenore. But, hey, look, if they're going to attack and they're not going to attack you, then pick your spots. The one thing I want to say about Lenore is this. Secondary, cornerback, a lot of it is confidence and what's going on in your brain. And sometimes one play, one sequence of plays, one good game can swing you in the direction of playing much more confident and moving in a different direction, right? Like, I'm not comparing this man to this person, but I am comparing him to a player who similarly struggled with the 49ers at times, Akella Weatherspoon. There was times when Akella Weatherspoon was cornerback one, literally locking everyone down. But when things start to erode and snowball, he loses confidence. And half the battle at cornerback is confidence. So you have to hope that Diamador Lenore has his confidence now, is making plays. I was much more afraid of the Tyler Lockett-Lenore matchup or whoever was going to be covering Tyler Lockett, including Jimmy Ward from the slot. But I think this is a, a great development because I am with you, Steph. Mooney Ward's not going to play like that again. And now if Diamador Lenore has his confidence and can play a little bit better, it's just an ace. It's just an ace up your sleeve now at this point, especially with CD Lamb and Michael Gallup coming in, and then potentially AJ Brown, Devonta Smith. You know, if if Philly takes care of business, so it's just going to make this defense already stronger. But I wanted to circle back to turning point because the Charles and Menahue play. You know, by the way, pay Charles and Menahue. Don't let that man walk again. Shout out to the front office, second in every single pass rushing statistic that you can look up behind this Nick Bosa guy who actually didn't have a pressure in this game, which is hilarious to me. Like, it's just, it's insane that this defense can do things like that when Nick Bosa doesn't register nearly anything in the box score. I have a different take on when the turning point was, Steph. That's a huge play, the one that you said, right? It pretty much just either, Mm -hmm. it it wrapped it up and it kind of just made Seattle feel like, all right, this is it, like we're done. But I have a different turning point. And it's when Jonathan Abrams twisted Debo Samuel's leg. And Kyle Shanahan ran on the field. And he kind of talked about it after the press conference in which he said, you know, hey, uh, we don't need any extra motivation or anything like that. But the team kind of woke up right after that. And you know what? You can actually track the offense and how this went, you know, right after that play. And they, they went up. But don't poke the bear. Don't don't make him mad. And that's the thing is, is you know what? I'm not saying that the 49ers were sleepwalking, but don't give them a little bit extra motivation. So I think the turning point was actually the Jonathan Abrams twisting of the leg because Kyle Shanahan was fired up, man. I mean, he was out on the field. He was walking through Seattle players like with his chest out, like, you know, like upset. Right. It's just it's <laughs> crazy. Coach. Right. Yep. I love it, man. It's just crazy to me that uh, that something like that would. And from that point on, the 49ers. 197 yards, 25 points, zero turnovers. Seahawks, 156 yards, six meaningless points against the backups. 
So this defense yeah. did not give up 17 points, mm-hmm. or they gave up 17 only. So, again, oh, we're worried about the defense. Yeah, that was 17 points in the first half. They didn't give up anything in the second half. I think they're fine. And two more turnovers for Seattle. So I think the turning point was the Jonathan Abram play. And I do think that it fired the 49ers up. And I love the culture and the camaraderie. And I think that's what it speaks to. Yeah, because there were some people on Twitter, Seahawks fans, who were like, well, what about like Jimmy? (laughs) What about Jimmy Ward's hit on Geno Smith? Yeah, like you, you know, your team could have gotten mad at that, too. But that that play didn't light a fire in them. So what does that tell you about? you know, the Seahawks and and how that team is built compared to the 49ers and how much of a brotherhood it is for the 49ers when you mess with one of us, you mess with all of us kind of thing. You mess with mine, you mess with New York. You mess with one of us, you mess with all of us. So, yeah, that that was a big play. That was inexcusable by Jimmy Ward, by the way. Mm -hmm. I think we can all agree on that. Mm -hmm. But the difference is in the response, you know, so I I think that's a difference. And, look, we, we, we talked about the fact that, you know, the defense wasn't perfect in that game. They clamped down in the, in the second half for sure. We talked about the fact that, you know, Brock Purdy, the 49ers are averaging 33.5 points per game in the last six games he started. And uh, the Cowboys right now, 32.5 points per game in the 11 games since Dak has returned from his injury. Um, the last time these two teams met last season, the score was 23-17. So back then it was a little more of a defensive battle. Do you think this season, the way these two teams are going right now, they're scoring a lot of points, but also both of their defenses are better than they were last season, potential shootout, or is this going to be another kind of defensive back and forth battle? I mean, it doesn't really matter at this point. The 49ers shown you that they can win either way. Um, I do think that the 49ers can still score points on this defense. I want to talk about the offensive line, and here's why. So the offensive line, obviously, the Seattle Seahawks don't impose the problems that the Dallas Cowboys do. Right. Michael Parsons is incredible, even if he's crying all over social media, which, you know, again, implies that he just is trying to talk himself into being hype and being that guy when, you know, you're not that guy, pal. Trust me. You're not that guy. <laughs> yeah. So the offensive line. Right. This is the point. Um, Two pressures. Three pressures were allowed. Three pressures were allowed. Two from Aaron Banks and one from Trent Williams. Clean sheets. Brendel. Burford, Brunskill, McGlinchey. This offensive line's been playing well, and I think it kind of goes hand-in-hand with how Brock Purdy's been playing. I mean, a lot of people lose sight of how offensive line and quarterback play are almost married. Meaning, if it's a a three-step drop, the ball's got to be out. If it's not, and you're blocking, you know, you're, you're in scat, jet protection, whatever it is, you might lose that rep. But if there's a quarterback who's out of the way and moving like Brock Purdy is, you might not get dinged for a pressure. So I think there is something to the idea that not only one has this offensive line completely blended together, but a lot of it has to do with Brock Purdy and him being able to move. A lot of people have in their head running quarterback when it's not running, it's mobile, right? Like Brock Purdy's 10 yard splits are faster than Lamar Jackson. And that's more important than straight line 40 yard speed because Brock Purdy's not going to be running down the field for 40 yards. 10 yards is where you need to be able to make your moves. And so much of what he's been able to do on top of the fact that this offensive line is blended together has, has led this. I mean, Mike McGlinchey, 12 quarters against the Seattle Seahawks, clean sheet, three straight games. I don't care if you're going up against a high school team. I don't care if you're going up against an AFL team. That is hard to do. So I do think that the 49ers have enough to give protection, but there's just too much. There's too much, right? Too many weapons. It's, again, George Kittle has two catches in this game, two. 
But hello, Debo Samuel, you're back for the first time, and, and you get seven for 133. And hello, Christian McCaffrey, you've just been dominant since you've gotten here. Brandon Ayuk drops a touchdown. He can still get open. Like, it's too much at this point. There's They don't have enough to cover everything on the back end, and the offensive line is giving Purdy the time on top of the fact that Purdy's been, like, the most mobile quarterback in the pocket that we've seen in a long time. Yeah, the Cowboys would make a mistake if they think they're going to go into Levi's Stadium and be facing a similar quarterback to Tom Brady in the pocket because I got this response from someone on a tweet yesterday, and it was it was kind of hilarious, so I got, I'm going to read it off. He said, uh, Tom Brady moves around just as much as my grandpa does, and my grandpa <laughs> left us four years ago. R.I.P. Graham. Oh, no. No. Well, rest in peace, I, I know, but, yeah. but – They got dark fast. <laughs> <laughs> but to his point, but to his point, I mean, Tom Brady is a statue in the pocket, and we're talking about Brock Purdy. You made some excellent points there. Like he he be scooting, he be scooting, and uh, you know what? In that first half, I thought he was scooting a little too a little early. too much, yeah, uh, a little too much, a little too early. And uh, what I'm seeing is a bit of a trend. You know, he's always going to his left. Something that I hope he kind of tries to break. Like I hope mentally he's like. Oh wait, I should go to my right because when he went to his right, we saw a little little magic happen, or what could have been magic if you caught that pass. Um, but you know what I mean. Like you just gotta mix it up a little if you're gonna escape the pocket. Maybe don't have a trend for the defense to to point at and look at and be like, oh, l- let's just key in on that uh, kind of thing. So I'm gonna need that to improve. But I mean, the fact that he's his mobility in the pocket, I think, is very underrated, and I think it catches defenses off guard. Um, honestly, because, yeah, he's showing it on tape, but I think they don't realize how fast he is or how quick he can be until, like, they actually face him. So I think that is going to be something big in this game, especially with how much pressure I think, uh, you know, the Cowboys are going to try to throw at him. So um, it's going to come in handy for sure. And I and I think that this is this is a good time for people to know the subtle nuances of quarterback play because they automatically run to well that lineman's getting beat well you know do you know what the call is do you know what the drop is do you know where the ball has to be because if the ball's not out that's why you see sometimes lineman ineligible man downfield because the ball's supposed to be out right away and if that's disrupted then all of a sudden the lineman looks bad so yeah look what I was trying to say with the whole lineman thing and and Brock Purdy is. Yes, they'll get pressure, things like that. But this offensive line has been great. He's been great in in moving around. And he he two times improvised and got the ball to Christian McCaffrey and Elijah Mitchell for touchdowns. Like there's just there's always going to be someone open in this in this scheme and anytime that, that Kyle Shanahan, you know, calls something. And it's just something we haven't seen, unfortunately. Brock Purdy's executing this offense like nobody has during his time here at this point. Steph, Levi's was really loud, but I have something that I kind of want to get off my chest about fans. Can I go off real quick? Cook. Okay. So there was the – we didn't know who we were going to be playing this week, right? Mm-hmm. And um, people are sending out tweets, oh, the 49ers don't want this team. They don't want this team. And I said, bring them, bring either. They're going to lose. Mm-hmm. Bring either. And I got a fan that says, can you stop being so overconfident? Steph, let me ask you a question. Am I strapping on a helmet on Sunday? Am I going to be playing on Sunday? No. Okay. Is there such thing as a jinx, Steph? Um. No. <laughs> Steph, let me ask you something. If the 49ers go out there and do the unthinkable and lose to the Dallas Cowboys, is it because I was confident in a team that has been playing lights out 
for 11 straight weeks? It, is, is it because I was no. overconfident in a team that's supremely talented? Is it because I'm overconfident in a team that is coaching its ass off right now? <sighs> Look, we're fans. We do strange things, right? We wear the same shirt week after week. Don't wash it. Shout out to Rob. I think that's electric. I love that. Keep it going, buddy. But <laughs> the idea that if the 49ers lose the game, it's because Jason Aponte was too confident is laughable. And I just don't understand. I want to know, fans, yes, you can be humble. That's cool. I think the only thing that you open yourself up to when you're overconfident and you're boisterous and obnoxious like me is slander from the team back and getting old, you know, this you, old takes exposed. Okay, that's fine. I can. I don't duck the smoke. I keep up. I kept yeah, up. Yeah, I kept up on my Brock Purdy tweets. It's fine. I don't duck the smoke. I'm not. Mama didn't raise no bitch. But Steph, <laughs> the idea that because I'm overconfident, the 49ers are sitting there like, man, Jason did this to us because he was so overconfident. <laughs> it's just downright laughable stuff. Like, well, what am I missing here? Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm with you. I'm. She. I'm not the type of fan that like goes off talking like that just because I can't handle like the the blowback after if they do. <laughs> that's just that's just me. I don't want the smoke, but uh, Jay wants all of it. And and if that's what he enjoys as a fan, then l- let him be, man. He yes. And and it's not that I don't agree with you, Jay, right. about like being overconfident. Yeah. It's just that I I don't. I don't like people coming at me and, and you know, that, that make me sad, but, uh, <laughs> but you could do it. And I've seen you, I've seen you take it head on. So um, it, it's not going to be because of you that the 49ers That's, lose. that's more my point than anything. And look, fan how you want a fan. That's always going to be my thing. Exactly. You know, like yeah. do whatever it is that you want to do. Stop letting people police you. And if someone else's confidence in this team makes you nervous, if you're scared, go to church. That's all I got to say. Steph. D'Amico Ryans, we talked about him, stellar second half. He's getting interviewed everywhere. It sounds like he's going to be a head coach. There's a question out there right now about, is this distracting from D'Amico Ryans in terms of game planning because he is interviewing? Steph, what do you think about that narrative? Uh, I mean, I think it's overblown a little bit. If D'Amico is a good head coaching candidate, which I think we can all agree he is, he, he should know how to manage his time. And Mike McDaniel went through this last season as well. Um, you know, having to take on interviews while the 49ers are in the playoffs, which I'm not a fan of, by the way. Um, it as a whole, I, I don't, I don't like that playoff team coaches have to take out time out of the week to, you know, do interviews and things like that. But it is what it is, and so it's up to those individual uh, coaches to kind of see how they manage their time. And I don't think it impacted anything last year with Mike McDaniel. Um, and so I'm not worried about it. The 49ers start their game planning, what, like pretty early in the week. In this case today, it's Tuesday. Uh, they install Wednesday, Thursday uh, before practice. Um, and Kyle Shanahan even like shed some light on the whole process too and, and how he doesn't feel that it will impact um, any preparation for this game as well. And so once practice is done, like this man is free to do with this time as he wishes, you know, remember he, he already will have this game plan set at this point. So now it's just about practice and making sure your guys are ready and, and making sure they're prepared. But once they leave the building, like what, what are you going to be doing? Like texting your guys, like prepare, look at this one more time. Like, no, I mean, he already did all his work, all the heavy lifting early in the week. The guys know what to do. They're adults as well. So I think it's a little overblown to think that 
you know, it'll impact how he prepares. Now, the thing with me, I mean, personally, when I when I know I have an interview, like I get a little nervous thinking about it. Mm-hmm. And and I'll be thinking about it when I'm, you know, hours before, days before, you know. So I hope that's not the case for him. But I feel like he just he knows who he is. He knows what kind of coach he is. I don't think he needs to be nervous for these interviews at all. Um, now, I don't know if he is, but yeah, that'd be the only thing I'd be worried about because I don't want him thinking about this like when he is in a team meeting or something like that. I don't want it to be in the back of his mind and things like that. So for me, that would be the biggest concern. But at the end of the day, like I said, if he's a good head coaching candidate, he'll know how to manage his time, how to manage his thoughts and things like that. So I'm not too worried about it. Yeah, I think this is a bit of nothing burger. I mean, not a bit, a huge nothing burger. And here's why. Steph, I mean, when you think about it, right, head coaching candidates are not going to be coming from teams that usually stink or have had terrible mm-hmm. years, right? So it's generally playoff teams that have these interviews. And it's been happening since yeah. this this process has been available. Um, I don't I don't understand why now all of a sudden it would be something to, to worry about at this point. It's literally been happening happening for year and year and year. Like, I mean, Kyle Shanahan had to do it during the Super Bowl. Is that the reason they lost 28 to 3? No. Like, like I, I just again, it just it's always going to happen. It's always going to happen like this. I think people are overthinking this just a bit. Um, I, and again, it's like a 45 minute hour process, something like that. It's not right. like he's flying all over the place. I'm sure they're doing it over a Zoom. And unless unless D'Amico completely bombs the interview, it doesn't mean it, it probably means that they have an idea whether they want to sign him or not. And and if it's it's really just going to be up to him. So yeah, I'm good. I, I'm not worried about this at all. Um, I think this is just a bit of overthinking. Um, on the 49ers fans part, just because it's been happening for years and years and years. And there's so many examples of it that no one, no one has ever discussed this with any other coach or anything like that. And it's never really come up. So I I, I don't see why I would now. I mean, I think people bring it up, but like, yeah, I, I don't think it's, I think every time it ends up being a non-issue, but uh, really quickly and Rob, you can decide to leave this in or not, uh-huh. but we, we mentioned Mike McDaniel and there is a video that circulated uh-huh. about, Mike McDaniel, do you think he was vaping on he the sideline? He ripped the jewel. He ripped the jewel on the <laughs> sideline, man. I mean, he was and stressed. Coaches are just like us. I find your lack of vape disturbing. <laughs> you know, I mean, he was stressed, man. I, I could, I would imagine a bunch of Dolphins fans did during that time, but you know, I mean, look, certainly looks like it. I will say that. But you know what? I do want to say this. Um, you know, we 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 kind of went off like a little bit. We we're like, oh, you know, people, you know, saying that coach was better than Shanahan. You know what? Shout out to Mike McDaniel, man. Those guys went out there and yeah. they and they were really, really close to winning with their third string quarterback with Skylar Thompson, right. man. So you, it's a bright future for Mike McDaniel. Happy for him. Was kind of low key rooting for him, but again, the Buffalo thing, it's hard to it's hard to root against them and what they've got going on. But shout out to Mike. It certainly did look like he ripped the jewel when that game was starting to get a little <laughs> bit uh a little bit tense though. It's not smoking, Peter. It's vaping. Hey, hey, ain't no shame in it, nope. though. Ain't no shame in hey, it. Hey, look. And uh, for people saying, like, oh, you know what? I'm going to make a joke, though, like, because they had that delay of game. Yeah, oh, <laughs> no. This, this, this is what the headset sound like. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah, so we're going to call. <laughs> <laughs> and by then, you know, 10 seconds had already run off the clock. So, no, I'm just joking. I'm playing, I'm playing. No, it's. And someone talked about it, like the this Kyle Shanahan offense, like it, the play calling is very wordy. Yes. So I think he did a great job. Yeah. Okay, like, and he's just learning these mm-hmm. small like head coaching. He he's gonna work out the kinks, you know. But yeah, he 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 did a good job. So I, I don't care. No no judgment passed None. if he did uh 
rip a jewel. No, not at all. I mean, I just think it's funny that you brought it up. But Steph, <laughs> oh my God, I said it on Twitter. Generational week coming up on this app. I mean, we mm-hmm. are going to start putting up Will Chamberlain numbers because it is time. Um, the Dallas Cowboys are coming to Santa Clara. I mean, Levi's, if you're going to the game, get loud, be loud, you know, be confident, you know, talk that ish. Like it's, this is what football is all about and you know postseason football in general is tense but when you bring these two franchises together it's just it's something different it just it it feels different in the entire nfl football world they'll be watching all of these games but i guarantee you this is going to be the highest rated game no questions asked and i'll put i'll put my small bank account up on that so steph that'll do it for us on this episode 49ers beat the seattle seahawks move on dallas cowboys are next make sure you guys subscribe to the Niners Nation audio podcast wherever you get your audio podcasts. Make sure you follow Steph on Twitter at Steph49K. Make sure you follow me on Twitter at JasonAponte2103. Leave that five-star review so we can read it on here. And Steph, let's go beat the Cowboys. Let's do it.